Amen. Thank you, Lord. The Lord's good. So I'm going to read uh, in Mark 9. I'm going to read about the Mount, Trans- Mount of Transfiguration uh, message. And I want to just share a few things from that, this this morning. I think the Lord uh, <clears throat> is, Mark 9 is, I think it's kind of an important chapter in the Bible right now for our church. Uh, and the only reason I say that is because I feel like the Lord told me it was. And I don't really understand all that, but here we go. Uh, it says, After six days, uh, Jesus took Peter, James, and John and led them up on a high mountain apart by themselves. And he was transfigured before them. His clothes became shining, exceedingly white like snow, such as no launderer on earth can whiten them. And Elijah appeared to them with Moses, and they were talking with Jesus. That's a pretty wild encounter, right? A couple of dead guys, you know, appeared with Jesus. Then Peter answered and said to Jesus, no, uh, Rabbi, it's good for us to be here, and let us make three tabernacles, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. Because we did not know what to say, because he did not know. I said we. Uh, that's right. When the Lord does something crazy, we, we don't know what to say. Uh, for they were greatly afraid. Um, and the cloud came and overshadowed them, and a voice came out of the cloud saying, This is my beloved son. Hear him. Suddenly, when they had looked around, they saw no one anymore but only Jesus with themselves. Now, as they came down from the mountain, he commanded them that they should tell no one the things they had seen till the Son of Man had risen from the dead. So they kept this word to themselves, questioning what the rising of the dead meant. Because at that point, that Jesus had not risen from the dead. So there is just a massive amount of stuff in here. I just want to share a few thoughts this morning. Uh, and maybe do some more messages out of this. But first I want to point out, uh, it says, after six days. To, that's sort of a, to me, is something that kind of sets the stage for this, for what happened here. And obviously the first question would be, uh, what's, you know, after what? You know, what's happened six days prior? And six days prior to this, uh, Jesus asked the, the most important question that has ever been asked of anybody. And the question that everybody in this room has answered or will answer at some point in life, and everybody on earth will answer, everybody on earth will have to answer this question is, who do you say that I am? That's the question of all questions. And every person has to answer that question because how we see Jesus and who we see Jesus to be affects everything about our lives, everything. It affects how you see yourself, how you see others, how you see life. And so that was, that was the thing uh, after six days. Also, he also talked to the people uh, for the first time, for the, to the disciples for the first time, about his future, about the crucifixion, about the cross, and about what was going to happen. He began to talk to the disciples about what was going to happen, about his rejection. And you remember that Peter absolutely went against that thought, and the Lord uh, rebuked him sharply for coming against that thought. And so that all happened six days prior to the Mount of Transfiguration. Another thing that really speaks to me, uh, though, when I read it, I immediately thought of Genesis 1, where it says, God rested 
after working for six days. God rested after working for six days. And if you really look at the context of this within the Gospels, is Jesus up to this? Jesus was about two thirds done with his ministry when this happened. He was two years into his ministry. He was really at the peak of his ministry in terms of popularity, in, in terms of effectiveness, in terms of crowds. It was like that was where he was at. And if you study the timeline after this, things begin to go downhill for Jesus in terms of people started coming against him, people started forsaking him. Things started getting more and more difficult and more and more challenging. Uh, also, Jesus, you know, obviously had done many miracles and many, uh, um, many healings and many deliverances. After this, the miracles, actually, in Mark, there's only a couple more uh, healings recorded uh, after this. Only two you know, after he had done many, and there was no deliverances, and there was no miracle like a, you know, uh, walking on the water or, you know, feeding thousands of people with a little bit of bread. And his teaching began to shift. He began to talk. He quit talking a lot about the uh, invisible kingdom and internal kingdom, and he began to talk a lot about the end of times. He began to give these, these parables about the end of time and about what was going to happen. And like, so Jesus was really given, a, he was like a different Jesus after this transfiguration. He, because he saw that his time was short and things were coming to the end. And he, like I said, he became under a lot of heavy persecution from the Pharisees and the religious system. They were going after Jesus hard, hard after this thing. So... I just told you all that to tell you that sometimes in our life there's going to be a shift. There was a shift in Jesus' life. There was a shift from all what was happening to him in this peak moment. And then things begin to change. And the key is to be able to understand that there's shifts that happen spiritually. And being able to tune in to what's happening and be able to flow with what God's doing. And not try to hang on to what he was doing. That's an old story, right? But it's the true story. And if it happened to Jesus, it's going to happen to us. I think another thing uh, it says, I just love how it said this. He led them up on a high mountain. And I'll tell you, I've said this before. Anytime in the Gospels it mentions the mountain and Jesus in the same, pay attention because something unique has happened every time. Every time. Uh, there was a mountain in Jesus. You know, Jesus went up on a mountain and gave the Sermon on the Mount. He went up on a mountain and chose the disciples. And so there was mountains were Jesus saying they were kind of a physical representation of Jesus going into a higher place spiritually and doing something. And so I, I just think that's an amazing way to read, to read the Bible is catch those things. But it says he took them apart by themselves. He took them apart by themselves. Peter, James, and John. And um, so, you know, they seem to have this special deal with Jesus, right? They got in on some things. They got in on some healings. They just got in on some stuff. And so you think these guys were these special guys, right? I mean, that's how people have preached that for years, is they were special. However, I dispute that thought. But number one, because you can't prove it in the Bible. Number two, I think everybody's special to God, and so I think everybody has a unique purpose and a unique calling. Uh, I think all the disciples, all the 12 should have been there. I think, my, this is opinion, I can't prove it in the Bible. 
I think the other nine were not there because they chose not to be there. You know, I, I, I feel that. I feel in my heart, um, well, God has given us, um, this is a brief thing. God has given us the power of choice. And he really, lots of times, Christians are, are saying, well, I don't feel led to do that. I don't feel this. And that's just like, you know, that's really a, a sorry way to live your Christian life. I don't feel this. You're living your life based on feelings. Uh, it's not really, it just maybe better say, I don't want to do that. I mean, to me, that's a more honest answer. Uh, we're looking for people to clean the toilets. I don't want to clean the toilets. Somebody else needs to feel led to do that. You know what I'm saying? I don't want to do that. Let's just be honest with it. I don't want to try to spiritualize my answers. But if you study the Bible, uh, I don't want to get too far on this, but I just love that song that we're singing at the end, I Will Glorify You All My Days. I thought, I told Martin, I said, Martin, that was a song that David would sing. Because David used a lot of I wills in his psalms. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. He didn't say, oh, if I feel good, oh, if the worship team's doing good. No, he just made a choice. He made a decision in his heart. And see, I think, you know, Christians don't get up every day, oh, I'll go to work if I feel led to go. No, you're going to go because you're supposed to go. And you, if you don't, you're going to get fired, and then you're not going to be able to pay your bills. So you get up and do. And I think there's a part of Christian, why should, anyways, why should our Christian life be based on feelings when the rest of our life is not based on feelings? Why should everything be that we've had to feel led to do something where the rest of our life we're making choices and making decisions because God has given us the power to choose. He's get, in the Bible, you go through the Psalms, you go over and over and over, I will, I will. I, one thing I've asked, that I will see to dwell in the It's a choice, it's a decision. It's not some dramatic thing that an angel has to appear to you to get you to do something or the worship team has to do it just right to get you to stand up and sing. That's a joke. That's something. You should come to church like this. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise will come continue to be in my mouth. I really feel that. And I feel like that's the heart of the Lord, but that's another subject. I don't know how I got on that, but anyways... Yep. That's a holy ghost, right? So anyways, here's what I think, one thing. It says that they went up there, and Jesus had been really busy. Like I said, he'd been doing miracles, he'd been preaching, he'd been doing all this stuff. And then they get up there, and guess what? Nothing. It was like a pause in all the action. You get what I'm saying? Sometimes in your life, in my life, we need to take a pause in what we're doing. Yeah, I see, like every day, in fact, all through your days, there needs to be these moments where we take a pause to connect with God. And that's what they they were doing, but it was on a grander schedule, uh, scale, but on a smaller scale, and I'm not talking about just having a devotional, because that can be sort of crummy if, if, if you're just going to have a devotional every day and go through the motions of that. But if you can really take a moment in your life to stop and just and just be... And let God do something. See, that's what happened. They stopped what they were doing. They disinvolved themselves what they're doing. And they went 
to be with, with this person because he wanted them to be with him. And so they chose to go be with him. And something amazing happened. You know, this amazing revelation, this amazing thing that God did. And so I think that's one of the things that God wants to remind us of, of taking these moments in our life with, for the Lord because, uh, you know, we tend to be really busy some people are not busy with their body. I mean, you know, in other words, they don't work. I don't know what people, some, those people, they, but they're busy in their mind. They're, I know people who are wore out because they're busy in their mind. They're emotionally wore out because they're thinking about stuff all the time. They're just churning constantly. And they're not taking that moment, that little pause in life, just to be still before the Lord and let God do whatever God wants to do in their life. And see, when you begin to do that, that's where you get revelation. That's where things begin to shift in your life. That's when God can really begin to speak to you about what's really important in your life. And you be able to connect with what God's thinking about. Are y'all good? Yes, yes y'all are not acting like you're good. Somebody actually looking at me like I'm trying to fuss at you. Anyways, but I'm not. I'm just kind of telling you what's happening here. And so they had this experience. They had this amazing, amazing experience. And that experience had a major impact on their life. God, you know, in, in what Jesus was wanting them to see, Jesus was wanting them to see what an open heaven really looked like. He was wanting them to see what He was really like because He was hidden, you know, His glory was hidden behind His flesh and He wanted them to see something about Himself and He wanted them to see something about the world that He lived in and the world that He operated in. So for a moment in time, a little bit of time, He opened, He just pulled back the veil and let them peer into that veil and see stuff that they couldn't see with their normal eyes. And I'll tell you something, I believe that's something God wants to do for every human being on this earth. I believe there's times in our life where God wants to roll the veil back. Maybe not this grandiose, maybe not like with Paul when he got saved, and get slammed off the floor. Maybe not. Maybe you'll have a less stellar experience. But nevertheless, it's a biblical fact. It's the truth of the New Testament that Christians need an encounter with God that's beyond the normal. That's why this kind of stuff's in there. Because we need an encounter. And I believe a lot of the, the nine who sat down there, I believe they miss an encounter when they could have had an encounter. I think the church is made up of most of those nine people. They don't really want to go. They don't want to take the pause. They don't want to get out of what they're doing and go up onto this mountaintop with Jesus and allow Him to do something for them. That's, that's just my belief. I believe when we become intentional about that and begin to choose that kind of lifestyle where we quit saying, you know, having a negative attitude towards visionary experiences, when we quit have a cynicalness, a cynicism, and a question about it, and I'm not talking about what they call charismatic parlor games on any day because I don't care about that neither. You know, I'm not interested in going into a parlor with a bunch of charismatics, to tell you the truth. But I am interested in going from the mountain with Jesus. That's what I'm interested in, in seeing what he wants to sit, show and hearing what heaven is saying. And that's what, what happened to him. Now, this experience profoundly affected Peter. I don't believe he knew exactly how much it affected him till later on. But he, they, it, it affected him majorly. It affected his ministry later uh, in a big way. But I did want to read the 
30 years down the road, I think it was 30 years down the road, Peter was at the end of his life. In 2 Peter 1, I just want to read this. It's so, so awesome. I think lots of times in the scripture, you find this with Peter, they hearken back to some encounter they had with the Lord way back. Because it has, had, had guided their life. It had done something in their life. And maybe they didn't even know that at the time. Maybe it was in hindsight that they realized, oh my gosh, everything about my life changed that day. I didn't know it. It was subtle, but it began to affect the way I think. It began to, 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 to lead me in a different direction I was going in at the time. Paul, the same thing. When he was being tried, he was saying, this is why I'm doing what I was doing. Because I had a vision. God revealed himself to me, and I, therefore I am responding to what God showed me that day. And I've lived my life according to what God revealed. And See, that's what God's looking for with people. People who are li- not living their life on some philosophy or some you know, ridiculous doctrine that they can't make work, but, that, but a real spiritual encounter with God that touches them on a level, a deep level, that they don't even know how deep it touches them, and it Changes the very course of their life. The course of their thinking begins little by little to be changed. And that's what happened to these men. And if we want to be these kind of people, which I believe most of you do. Because I believe most of you are sitting here wanting to make a purpose and make a difference in life. This is the key to making the difference in life. Versus just being somebody who don't make a difference. Listen to this. Uh, 2 Peter 1, 16 through 18. For we did not follow cunningly devised fables when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but were eyewitnesses of His majesty. Eyewitnesses. For he, re- for he received from God the Father honor and glory when such a voice came to Him from the excellent glory. This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. That stuck with Him for 30 years. He couldn't get it out of His mind. He couldn't get it out of his thoughts. Maybe at first it was just in the background because he hadn't, didn't have the Holy Spirit then. Not the baptism of the Holy Spirit, not the Holy Spirit residing. He was living on the barred Holy Spirit of Jesus. But once Pentecost happened, he got it. And that thing got into him. And it worked on him. God wants to work on people. God's working on some people in this room. You've had encounters with the Lord. And he's working on you and he will not leave you alone. It's the best thing ever. It'll ruin your life. It'll make you dissatisfied with everything else. It'll make normal Christianity be a, you know, like, uh, you know. And you are just, here's the truth. When God's moving, you're in your element. When he ain't moving, you feel like a fool. Because you're not in your element no more. You're not in the spirit. And you don't know what to do. Uh, like I used to always say, when God's moving at River Life, we look like brilliant people. But we're just falling into what God's doing. But when He's not moving, we look like a bunch of bumbling fools that we really are because we don't know what we're doing. But when God moves, it's like being a, like a fish being in the water. We're in our environment. We were built for this. Like the song says, we were made to worship. We were made to live in that place. And anything else, it's not... It's, it's, you just ain't quite there. You know, you can read a thousand books on how to be a good leader and how to do preach better and how to do this better and how to do that better, but at the end of the day, you're not happy with it. And who wants to get to the end of their life and realize, I just daggone missed it because I didn't live in the element that God created me to live in. I don't want to do that. 
We heard this voice which came from heaven when we were with him on the holy mountain. Isn't that beautiful? It's beautiful. So I believe God really wants to do some things for people. I wanted to read something here that I read. It's a commentary on commentary on verse nine, which which is a powerful verse. And I, I just and then I'm going to end up just and be done here in a minute. But I wanted to read a couple this and just tell you a couple of things. It says, uh, not verse nine. Well, verse eight. Suddenly, when they had looked around, they saw no one anymore, but only Jesus with themselves. Only Jesus with themselves. Isn't that beautiful? Uh, but, but it was the plain Jesus. It was the everyday Jesus. It wasn't the glorious Jesus. You see, and this is, so hold that thought. Let me read, this comes from uh, Brian Simmons' commentary uh, on this verse. He, he, you know, he's the guy who did the, the pa- he's a Bible translator. He's the guy who did the Passion Translation. It's really good. He says, uh, there were two mountains in the life of Jesus that focused on his true identity and mission. Two mountains. That's, that's amazing. On this mountain, his face shined as bright as the sun. Yet, on Mount Calvary, listen to this, his face was beating to a pulp. Woo! On this mountain, his clothing was glistening white. Yet, on Mount Calvary, his clothing was taken from him, and he was bleeding crimson. Lord, that'll get you, won't it? On this mountain, he had at his side two of the greatest men to ever live, Moses and Elijah. Yet, on Mount Calvary, he, he had at his side two murderers. Man, this is amazing here. On this mountain, the glory of God overshadowed them. Yet on Mount Calvary, he was alone. Woo! Forsaken in the dark. On this mountain, we hear the Father's voice of commendation. Yet on Calvary's mountain, the Father was silent. Then he says, how beautiful is Jesus on both mountains. How beautiful is Jesus. That's, a, that's amazing. That's amazing. That, when I read that, I thought, oh, God. Help me know this Jesus. Help me know this Jesus. I believe that God, that Jesus Christ reveals himself in either one of those two ways in our life. I believe they're both significant and they both are meaningful to us. And they both can be very impacting to us. Uh, For him to reveal himself as a man and him to reveal himself as the glorious God that he is. Years ago, I had this um, really, it was a really awesome vision. And what I saw is I saw Jesus standing in clear water. And it was about a little below his knees. And you know how water about that deep, when you look at your feet or something, that water, it kind of, you know, you're looking through water, so it's not perfect. Yet, his feet were human feet. And something in me recalled at that. Because I knew he was saying to me, I felt, he wasn't, I didn't hear now, I just saw it, and I felt he was saying to bow to those feet, to worship at that feet. Yet I was looking at a man's feet, and, and I was recalling at it. And he said to me, if you ever 
If you ever really want to see those burnished feet that it talks about in Revelation 1, when John saw Jesus, that's how he described his feet, that they were like bronze burned in the fire, shining. He said, if you ever really want to see that, you need to bow at these feet. That was like, oh, I'll kiss these feet, Lord. I'll kiss these feet. I'll kiss these feet. I'll kiss you, the Jesus on the cross, the man, the man, the earthly man, the man who was like us. Can you, that's why, I'm just trying to put myself in, in, the, in the mindset of Peter and them. They had just saw this glorious man, this beautiful man. He was glorious beyond measure. What they saw was impacting beyond measure. And they heard the Father speak of this person, from this person, and say, he's the one to hear. They heard it. And then all of a sudden, he, the one to hear, is like them. He's dirty like them. He has body odor like them. He gets hungry like them. He gets thirsty like them. He's just another man. He's a wise man. He's a great man. Obviously, Peter at that time wasn't thinking he was God because it called him rabbi. He was just a teacher to him. He's just a teacher. Oh, he was a great teacher, but he's still a man. You hear what I'm saying to you? And see, when we have an encounter with the Lord, you know, we can begin to see the Lord as, as He is or as He wants us to see Him, as He wants us to know Him. And it gave, a, gave these guys a vision. It gave them a glimpse of the Lord that He was not what they saw. He was far greater than what they saw. He, there was something more wonderful about him than they realize it. And I think that's what we need. I think we, we believe Jesus is wonderful. We think he's wonderful. We read about he's wonderful. We talked about how powerful his blood. How much do we really know it? How much, how much is it really affecting us? How much is it really gripping our hearts? How much is it really gripping our hearts? How much is God really gripping your heart today? How much is it? You have to ask yourself that at times. Because there's times I just like, I don't know if God's gripping me. I I feel like I'm gripping Him. That's the way I have felt at times. And then I look back, no, He was really gripping me. Because if He wasn't gripping me, I couldn't have held on. He held on to me when I couldn't hold on to Him. And see, that's the real truth, and that's the glory of who He is, is we think we're holding on to God. We think we're going for God. And God said, not really, not really, not really. I'm going for you. I'm holding on to you. If you're doing anything, you're accomplishing anything, it's because I'm doing it. I'm right there with you. Otherwise, it wouldn't be happening. See, I think God really wants us to really fall in love with Jesus in a real way. You know, it's like in a marriage. You, you know, you get used to that person. You get tired of them. You get mad at them. You know, you, all that stuff you go through. But then one day you wake up and you look at them and you just feel like, man, I just love this person so much. Lord, thank you that you gave me this person because this person's awesome. And they're more awesome now than they were when we first got married. Let me just uh, end with this thought too. Um, About Moses and Elijah. You know, they were like the top guns in, in uh, Peter and Jack, right? They were like the ultimate guys, right? I mean, you know, 
We would be awed if Moses and Elijah showed up, right? We would like, darn, Elijah, he can call fire down again. Let's get him to do it. Uh, you know, Moses, he can cross the, he can depart water. Let's get him to do it. You know, he did the Old Testament. I mean, he's like the ultimate guys. They were the ultimate guys, and they were the law, you know, they represent, Moses represented the law of God. Elijah represented the power of God, right? And so there they were, and uh, they were there with Jesus. And I think Luke actually says the conversation they were having was about Jesus' death. He, he clued us in on what they came to talk about. They didn't, even, they didn't even come to talk about fire falling from heaven or some great revelation. No, they came to talk about Jesus' soon death and departure. That's what Luke's version of this says. Um, and by the way, Luke says eight days. Matthew says six, like Mark. So, I, you know, I don't know what Luke was talking about. <laughs> Why are you different, Luke? But I'm sure there's some... Uh, maybe Luke was saying it was a new beginning. Everything was shifting then. You know, eight's the number of new beginning. Who knows? But I just want to throw that out so you wouldn't be confused. Or maybe you're confused worse now. <laughs> Anyways, I always have thought, when I've read this, the thing that has stuck out to me more than anything else is that phrase, Jesus only. And I've always like, well, what does... What is that, Lord? What is it? And this is what I have come to rea- realize in my life. When I, looking back on that vision of Jesus and water, Jesus was inviting me into something. Okay? He was inviting me into something. But he was saying, you're going to have to humble yourself to, do, to come in and do what I'm doing. This was the Holy Spirit River he was inviting me to because he was standing in it. And he was telling me, if you're going to do this, it's going to take some humility. And that's where I came up with that thought. There's not a river on earth that you step up to get into. You step down to get into Allah. If you're going to get into a move of God, you've got to step down into it. You got, in other words, you've got to humble yourself. You know, you've got to step from here to here. You've got to step out of your intellect into your heart, into your belly, which is telling you the truth. And then command your intellect to get in line with them, and then it can function. But, and that's what Becky was praying about. That's what she was praying, sneaking in on y'all, that your mind would get in tune with your belly and start obeying your belly instead of letting the mind be the boss of the belly because that will talk you out of the move of God. Anyways, it was right after that the Holy Spirit River came into the church and it was like, oh, this is ridiculous. Gosh, but I need to get down there where those feet are. I need to get down there where he's at because his feet are in that river and he wants me to go down there and get in that river with him at his feet, humility. But Moses, back to Moses and Elijah, are you okay? I'm about done. I'm so sorry. I'm just rambling here and I just wanted to make sure you got that. Like I haven't said that to you thousands of times years ago about stepping down. I'm still stepping down. We never get past humbling ourselves. Hey, some of you got problems this morning. You feel like God's not working your life. God's forgotten you. Step down. Just humble yourself. And if you'll do that, you'll be shocked at what God will do. Don't be angry with God or disappointed with God or everybody else. Just humble yourself to God. And let God begin to work in your life. Because it says He gives grace to humble people. 
You know, but he resists the other kind of people. He resists us when we're fighting him and arguing with him, which is pride, like we know better than Jesus. All right, so Jesus only. Here's the point, I believe. There's something in everybody's life or somebody in everybody's life that occupies a place like Moses and Elijah occupied in the Jews' hearts, in Peter's heart. They were the ultimate people. Let's make a booth for each one of you, is what Peter said. Putting Jesus on the same level as Moses and Elijah. Now, that's the truth. And so, I can't sit here and say, what, what in your mind, what in your life is occupying a place that it shouldn't be? That there's no, Jesus, has, Jesus is at the highest. We praise our children, right? We praise each other. That's a good thing. But the highest praise, as we have sang, only belongs to Jesus. So, here's the challenge. Everybody has their Moses and Elijah. Everybody has something in their life that God wants for you to open your eyes one day and the only person you see left is Jesus. Only Jesus. Nobody else occupies that place for you. And, and it's... Lots of times it's not, it's subtle things. It's, it's your dreams, your vision, your calling, your ministry, what didn't happen, the spouse that you don't have, or all these, it could be uh, many things. Many things. The life you didn't get. So important to you. Why God didn't answer this prayer. The questions you have for God. They can occupy a place that they don't belong there. They don't belong because you've put them in a place equal to Jesus. You would never say that. You would never think that. But the truth is, you have. I have. The church is famous for putting things, wanting a reputation, wanting to look good. We're not wanting to, all, all that stuff is putting that stuff in the wrong place. It's occupying a place it shouldn't occupy. That's what I really believe that. I think the Bible talks about Matthew, if your eye be single, your whole life will be full of light. Your body will be full of light. Your body will be full of life. If it's not single, in other words, does it, is that person, is he, does anything else occupy a spot with him that it shouldn't occupy? Then you don't have a single eye, and your life is not going to be full of life. I heard somebody say one time, this was the most clarifying and turning point in Christianity. When they made that step, they only saw Jesus. It shifted them from Judaism and nationalistic thinking to a person, to a kingdom, to a God that he really was. That's it, man. That's what I'm thinking. How about that? (laughs) Yeah, let's just... uh,
ask the Lord to convict you and me. I'm guilty. I'm not sitting here saying I don't do that. Dag on. I wouldn't be talking about it if I didn't have some experience in it. That's sort of my number one rule. Don't talk about things that's theoretical. Ooh, that's why I ain't talking about lots of sins. <laughs> All righty, Lord bless y'all because I don't have lots of experience in lots of sins. But I do have some experience in some sins if you want to talk about them. <laughs> but I would just rather not. <laughs> my experience is I got delivered and set free. Yeah, Amen. Let's stand up. I'm praying the Lord to convict us this morning. I'm praying the Lord to convict us about our lack of heavenly encounters. That you would say to the Lord, Lord, you know what? I don't know why those other guys didn't come. Maybe you wouldn't let them, but I don't kind of, I'm kind of hoping that's not the truth. We'll find out in heaven. But I'm telling you, Lord, I'm going to the mountain. I've decided today. I'm going to go and find a spot in the mountain. Now, if Jesus, if you ain't going, then you're going to have to show up some other way. You're going to have to, because that's what I've decided to do. I'm using the power of my choice to choose something. To choose that God would reveal himself to me in a way that would grip my heart. And just grip my heart and grip my heart and grip my heart and grip my heart for the rest of my life. Because I'm not willing to live what we would consider to be a normal Christian life. I'm not willing to just be the ordinary. I want to live the life that I see the scriptures testify of. I want to live it however that looks in my context. It don't want to look like Peter's or Paul's or any other person on earth. But I want it for me. Whatever it looks like for me, God, I want that. And I can promise you God wants to reveal himself to everybody in this room in a particular way. And the ones of us who've had that I pray that somehow it would just come back up. It would be renewed in us and grab hold of us again. And we would think back to the power of that thing that touched us when we made made it. Once I was going through a bad time and my friend said, what happened to you? And I said, I think I told the Lord something in a weak moment where he was really touching me that I would do certain things. And now he wants me to do them and I was messed up. I pray we'd all be in that weak moment with the Lord where we're we're melting on the inside. And whatever God would say to us, then we would just like, yeah, I'm in, Lord. Lord, I pray that. Pray that for this church. Lord, pray that for the people in this church, Lord. Uh, Thank you, Lord, for grace that's at work in our heart today. Uh, In the background of our heart, this grace working to help us make good choices. To help us decide to go up into heaven. It's not some effort. It's, it's, God will give you that. Lord, I pray that for each one, each person. Lord, I pray this morning for those who really are trapped in thinking and lifestyle that's not healthy. I pray today they could get free. Get free, Lord. Thank you for those testimonies from Africa. People walking out of the hospital come, Lord, do it, do it here, Lord. People getting delivered from devils, Lord. There's a lot of devils prowling around here in America, Lord. Help us to get free from them, Lord. Hey, lift your hands to heaven. Let's pray for pray for the election that's coming up. God, and hey, listen, I've read some bad things that Christians are saying on social media. Don't be, don't be bad towards people who have a, a opposite view 
of you politically. That's mean. That's not Jesus. Have you ever noticed Jesus never went after people who followed Pilate and Herod? He, he loved on them. He didn't condemn them for their bad political beliefs. Let's don't do that. That's wrong. I don't think, I'm going to say this, the Lord is not pleased with that. And if you're doing that, stop. Stop doing it. Just get off of social media if you have to, if it irritates you. Just get away from it. Don't, but don't attack people for what they believe. Really. Don't do that. That's wrong. Lord, we pray for, there's going to, the United States is in an hour of choosing. And I pray that we would choose right. If there's such a thing as right, Lord, we pray that. We pray for America, Lord. When I was in Argentina, the Lord spoke to me about a lot of things. And one of them, this is what he said to me clearly. You are about to lose your nation. You're about to lose your nation. And I really feel like we are in that. We're, our future is hanging in the balance. And I know there's been lots of prayer and, you know, and, you know, I'm not some fatalistic person. I'm, my heart is in the kingdom, not in America, but I am living in America. And I think the scripture has given me a responsibility, you and I, a responsibility to pray for this nation and pray for God's best for this nation and pray that God would turn this nation. So we just ask you to do that, Lord, and we thank you for it this morning. Thank you, Lord. Lord, I just pray that in Jesus' name. Pray for America. Pray for these elections. Lord, pray for the Christians, uh, the heart of Christians, Lord, in this nation, that we wouldn't, we'd quit being mean and ugly to each other and to other people because of their beliefs, Lord. Somehow you would help us with that, Lord, that we, that wouldn't be the picture of Christianity, that we're mean and angry and want to beat people up if they don't think the way we think they should. Lord, we're not the thought police. You are. And if you want to do it, that's your business, Lord. So I just ask you to help us, to help us proclaim what we believe in a, in a, in a graceful, honoring way, Lord. Mm-hmm.